Now we are carrying on in our series on Follow Me, and this week we are going to be looking at differences. I want to ask you these three questions. Should we, as people, agree upon everything? No? Okay. So we shouldn't. Should our family agree upon everything? No? Okay. Should we, as Christians, agree upon everything? No, okay, so we, we don't need to agree upon everything. One of the things I hear all the time is that Christians are often critical and judgmental. That those outside of the faith tend to think that we if we don't agree with something that they say or do, we want to be judgmental about them. Which is interesting because if we've just said that we don't all have to agree upon things, then what gives us the right to be judgmental? Sometimes we as Christians are really quick to judge others as to their relationship with God and the way they live their lives. We know there's a lot of false teaching and casual Christianity around the place. And we don't want to be taken in by that. And at the same time, the basis for our judgment upon others isn't always the best as well. It's very easy for us to confuse our own personal preferences with what is actually biblical teaching regarding a certain issue. If you heard the news this morning, and you may not have heard the news as you're coming on, there is another attack in London at the moment. And that saddens me. And you hear the, the voices of the commentators who are saying because those who are attacking have a different ideology, a different understanding. They think they have the right to kill and maim. There is a difference of ideology that is leading to violence. And that just saddens me. Martin Luther King Jr. once declared, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Consensus asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And as we read the Bible and as we read through the passage that we had read to us today in Romans 14, the Bible assigns conscious as an important role in the Christian life. See, the Holy Spirit often works through our conscience, either to excuse or to convict us. However, this doesn't mean that our conscience is infallible. 
Some people have seared their conscience so badly with, with their life that they no longer can actually distinguish right from wrong. So in the Christian life, the conviction of our conscience should actually be taken quite seriously. Not only do we need to be sensitive to the prodding of our own conscience, it is important that we have regard for the conscience of others. Nowhere is this more evident than in the realm of Christian liberty. Christian liberty surfaces in two primary contexts for the believers in Rome in which Paul is talking to here. In the decision whether to eat certain foods or how to observe the Sabbath. The danger was that divisive arguments were erupting over what ultimately were non-essential matters of faith. So these words of Paul are words of warning, an encouragement for the weak group and a strong group. Paul's main concern is for a spirit of unity within the church. And what I want to do today is to use this basis of how we can deal with the inevitable differences that arise in our lives. Because believe it or not, we will come up against differences of opinions within our family, within the church, within the world around us. We all have differences of opinions, don't we? But if my opinion I consider right and your opinion I consider wrong, how do we deal with that? We agree to disagree. Do we? Do we always do that? I want to ask for a volunteer, somebody who's brave to come up the front and just, just play with me for a moment. Is there anybody who's willing to be that person? Oh, well done. This is, no, no, I'm not going to make the questions too hard. I, I just want to do a little bit of a role play. Um, and I, we're just going to pick a little silly subject. Now, I, I'm not the world's best cook. And, and Annette knows that I'm not a very good cook in, in oven cooking. It's not my forte, is it? It's, it's Annette's forte. So, tell me, how, how do you... How do you um, how do you roast a leg of lamb? How do I roast a leg of lamb? Well, I get the oven on first to a nice, even heat, yep. medium. Yep. And then a few herbs on the lamb. Oh, why would you do that? Give it flavour. Oh, you don't want that. The meat's the best. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, this is the way I do it. And you have your way. Can you, can you see just for a moment? Can you see what, what happened then? How did you feel when I said, why did you want to do that? Uh, a bit taken back. A bit taken back, isn't it? Isn't it amazing when somebody confronts you because you have a difference of opinion here? That it actually takes you back and it puts you on a back step and puts you behind the eight ball, so to speak, and you want to become defensive and you want to then become like, uh, well, my way is correct. 
It's, uh, I, thank you very much. You did very well. Oh, yes, you are. I don't want to embarrass you anymore <laughs> being out the front. But see, see that how even just in the smallest of things, sometimes our ways and manners that we do stuff actually has a massive impact in how we can relate to one another. Difference of opinions doesn't give us the right to be confrontational, does it? Even in that simple thing about putting herbs on, on a lamb roast and just going, well, why would you want to do that? The meat's the best. You know, just instead, if I actually said, well, actually, what kind of herbs? Why would you do that? I don't, I don't put herbs on my meat. Tell me about it. Notice the difference then? Instead of being confrontational and going, that's wrong, I wanted to try and understand why the difference was there. And what I want you to do is actually take that as a basis, that how we handle our differences is an incredibly important aspect of our Christian life. And we are going to, because of our faith, come up against others who have different opinions. So if you can enter into dialogue and understanding, you are going to become more in tune with Christ in your life and able to talk into the other person's life. But if you come at a defensive, aggressive stance of saying, you are wrong and I am right, what happens? You get closed down and people will not listen. Stu Cameron, the, the senior minister at New Life Uniting Church up in Queensland, yesterday wrote this. Uh, and I asked him whether I could quote him today. He wrote this on Facebook. In our social media-saturated, clickbait-driven, 24-7 news cycle, that's a very big mouthful already, isn't it? So, in other words, in the world that we live in, everyone has a megaphone at their fingertips, amplifying opinions into inflammatory outrage, dismissing straw men opponents as ignorant at best. I'm aware of it and wonder where and how Dialogue, that is, speaking and listening around competing ideas, will happen in our future. I think that is an amazing little statement. How are we going to do this hard task of living out our faith that at times is so countercultural to our world that we are different? How can we do that without falling into judgmentalism, without becoming aggressive, without becoming dismissive? How do we do that? Well, let's, like we did last week, let's not try and fix the really big issue. Let's come back to the personal. How do we ourselves handle with difference around us? And this is where scripture is going to help us. This is where this passage from Romans will allow us to see. The first of all, especially when we're talking about, and this is where Paul is talking in Romans, that it's between brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can kind of amplify this a little bit for those outside of the faith, and we need to be careful in this. But let's start with brothers and sisters in Christ for us. 
if somebody has a difference of opinion within the church around things. And this is the thing. Know that you are accepted by God. And the other brother and sister in Christ who has a different opinion to you, know that they are accepted by God. Here it is. Romans 14 verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat everything, but another's whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Notice the very clear message about acceptance by God, even if they have difference of opinions. See, what we must do is distinguish between essential biblical doctrines and personal opinions. Of course, this is often part of the problem. Some personal opinions are confused with essential biblical doctrines. This verse that we've just, the verses that we've just read assume that there is a difference of opinion, a questionable, disputable matters. And we're not to quarrel about issues that are matters of opinion. Differences should not be feared or avoided, but accepted and handled with love. You know, you know what happens? When we have differences of opinions and we handle them well, we actually gain new understandings. We actually can grow ourselves because we can hear another point of view. We shouldn't expect everybody, even in the best church, to agree upon everything. It's through the shared ideas we can come to a fuller understanding of what the Bible actually teaches. Accept, listen to and respect others. Differences of opinion need to not cause division, they can, cause, they can be a source of learning and richness in our own relationships. It's funny because when we read this passage, often we go, oh, am I weak? What does that mean? Am I strong? What does that mean? As Paul is talking about here, he's talking about one's faith, understanding that you are accepted and it's not what food is put into your body that changes your relationship with God, but it's Christ's love and death on the cross and resurrection that it has given you life and life everlasting. It is about that and not whether you eat food that may have been sacrificed to idols or not. And so that was the whole controversy around this area, whether it's, you know... Um, in order to buy meat in certain areas, that they, they would have sacrificed that to, on alders and then the butcher would have taken the rest of the animal and carved it up and sold it in the markets. And some people thought that that was wrong. And other people said, well, you aren't defiled by the things you put in your mouth. And so Paul is saying, you have a strong understanding of Christ's love for you and it's not about the things that go into your mouth. But those who are weak, who don't believe that, who believe that something going into your mouth can change you, don't upset them because of your behaviours. Just because you think you know it, 
Don't make that person a stumbling block. The issue at stake is not the strength or the weakness in the person's faith, but it's the danger of judgment on either side regarding, on, on, on regarding matters of non-essential, that is, not for salvation. You know, if, if, if it's a matter about salvation, then I think that we really should be strong about what we say. But if it's other stuff around that peripheral, then we need to be not quite so quick to judgment. As a believer, each person is a servant of God and is accountable to God, to our judge, our Lord and our Saviour. Any Christian tempted to judge another believer must face Paul's question. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? And here it's, it's really interesting because it's not the servant, the slave, it's the domestic servant. That's the language that's being used here originally. And so the domestic servant is not evaluated by themselves, is actually evaluated by what the master does, what the servant's master does. Not the servant, but the master. And so who are you to judge the master, the one, the Lord. So let us not overstep our proper limits of our own authority because God has freed the believers and God sustains us all and God has given a conscience to us that we should be able to follow and find and do as we must. And that brings me to our next point, which is a matter of conscience. Whether a person be thought of weak or strong, the important thing is to conduct, conduct yourself and your life before God in an appropriate way. See, verse 5, and let me just read this for you, um, Talks, looks at the differences of opinions about observing special days. See, one person considers one day more sacred than another and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Apparently, some believers back in that, that time believed that all days were holy to the Lord. Verse, some held one day to be more sacred than another. Or perhaps some observe special days for fasting and feasting. It is acceptable to hold these differences of opinions and practices. What isn't actually acceptable is to judge another as wrong based on their own convictions here. If a person who once worshipped God on a required Jewish holy day comes a believer in Christ and becomes a Christian, they may want to continue and carry on that practice of observing God in that time. Does that make them any less of a Christian, any less um, made beautiful by Christ's sacrifice? Well, the answer is no. Paul responds to, to the believers here to do it in love. 
both acting upon their conscience, what is convicting them of the reason why they are doing this, to be honest about their commitments, but it's their commitments and we need to be careful not to make our commitments into rules that others have to follow. So if I said to you, well, I think that the first 15 minutes of every day should be made as a rule for all Christians that they have to open their Bible and spend that time reading. That's how you get to heaven. Notice what I've done. I've just turned a commitment into a rule and a regulation. And if somebody goes, no, no, I actually think it's better that we actually read the Bible just before you go to bed. And we have this whole controversial debate over when we read the Bible because of our own personal commitments. We must be careful not to move our personal commitments into rules to follow, laws to be kept. We should be mindful of those around us that hold things differently. See, in verse 6, he goes on to say, Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So notice here that they're doing what they're doing because they want to give thanks to God. And that is the key here. It is a matter of conscience, a matter of letting the Holy Spirit work in your life and convict you of your opinion about something that you need to maintain for yourself to allow you to become closer to God. So each of us must act with a clear conscience in everything. In matters where there is no specific guidance, each person must be persuaded by the matter in which he or she acts in accordance with God's will in their life. And this act is an act of committing ourselves to God with thanksgiving, giving ourselves to the Lord with purpose. Finally, we need to realise for ourselves so that we can handle these differences, we need to realise that we are actually the Lord's. See, Paul now rises above the opinions and controversies of earth to proclaim again the lordship of Christ. So even in the midst of all of these things, the issues that are at hand, Paul goes, forget this, because it is about that you have been won by Jesus Christ. Whether you live, whether you die, you do it for Christ. For surely I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. And each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. See, each of us will give an account to God because we are God's and we have our own personal responsibility to God. See, a key component in any of the questions about your own Christian liberty, your own ability to do 
and have faith and show this as a believer. is our responsibility to Christ. We all are servants of Christ. We all bear the witness of Christ in our lives. And how do we do that without pulling apart, without tearing down, but by living a life that is the Lord's? The simple truth forms the bedrock of all Christian ethics, which is the visible side of our relationship with Christ, where we demonstrate his lordship, the one who gave his life without reserve for us is worthy of our lives without reserve for him. In life and death, we are Christ's. And this is what we are going to tackle next week. We're going to look at ethics and how we deal with the tough ethical questions. What is the framework that we are to have? So let the Lord guide you. Let his work within you continue. Let our God give you direction, for you are the Lord's. I want to ask you this question in closing. What was the subject of the latest Christian debate or difference of opinion in your life, in the world around? Was it a Christ-honouring in that disputable matter? See, there are some Christians who are so zealous for making sure that there is correct doctrine but whose lives reflect nothing of the love and life of Christ. See, the funny thing is that in recent studies done in Australia about matters of faith, about matters of spirituality, debating issues and trying to disprove or prove a point of view is actually one of the biggest turnoffs for people towards faith in Christ. They don't want to hear you arguing that your point of view is better. They want to see you living a life that is Christ-centred and Christ-filled. So let us open our ears to hear the voice of God in our lives, to follow his ways, to support and encourage one another in faith. May God enable us to distinguish between personal opinions and personal preferences, that which the word of God requires us to be truly faithful followers of Christ. So let the Lord guide you. Let him work in you. Let him give direction to you. We ask this in his holy name. Amen.